we're going to go ahead and get started this morning. Welcome. We're to ask that you would repeat after me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I will have what it says I will have. We're going to go ahead and give our mission statement. Our mission statement for Deliverance Temple is love living our vision every day. We're going to go through our confessions. Number one, we connect with our creator continually. We confess our deliverance consistently. We commit to serve creatively. We communicate Christ's love compassionately. All right, I'm going to go ahead and pray over the word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we give you praise, honor, and glory for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity that you have presented us with to share your word this morning. It is not my word, but it is your word, God, that you have given me. And I ask that you will get into my inner man, that you will get into my inner ear, that I will speak according to your unctioning and your anointing, that you, it will be all of you and none of me, that you will give me what you have given for your people, God, and it will be edifying, that no one's coming will be in vain, but they will leave change as a result of your word. In Jesus' name, we pray and we declare and we give you praise. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to go ahead and start with the word. Um, I'm going to do some scriptures before we get into the title that God has given me. A couple weeks ago, I was here um, when Pastor Andre started the, the series on kingdom and the, uh, the, the kingdom series and speaking about the king of kings. I was very encouraged when I was here that morning because I knew that I had been asked to speak during this um, weekend, and I had already had the word that God, uh, that I believe that God was giving me, not knowing that he was getting ready to do a series on kingdom. Um, but the word that, I, that God had already given me was right in line with that. And so when I was here that morning, I could hardly contain myself. I was excited because I said, God, you do confirm your word. And if you ever doubt that God confirms his word, do not doubt. He will and he does confirm his word. And we can be confident in that. If God has told you something, if he has declared something, he is faithful to complete it. Amen. We're going to start in 1 Samuel this morning, chapter 16. You'll go ahead and give me. Thank you. We're going to start in verses um, 1 through 7. And um, my guys in the back, I'll just give you the thumbs up when I'm ready to move to the next scripture. I'll go ahead and do the reading most of it this morning, and I might have my mother help out. And the Lord said unto Samuel, how long will thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill the horn with oil and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And I want to pause right there and kind of break that down a little bit. It, what blessed me when I was studying this word was the fact that God, the king of kings, would declare and tell Samuel 
that he hath provided himself a king among his sons. How does the king of kings provide himself a king? I thought that was just, it was very interesting how the text um, laid that out. And what we have to understand is the context of what was happening at the time. And it was that Israel had rejected God as their king. It was customary in those days that, that God was the king. There was no human king. But Israel had decided that they wanted a human king like other nations. And that's where we get into trouble when we start comparing ourselves with other things and other people and other entities. And so they got in trouble in, with the design of God because they wanted a human king when God already was their king. And so although Israel had rejected God, God hath not, did not reject Israel. So he said, although you guys have not responded to me as your king, what I'm going to do in my sovereignty, in my grace, in my favor, in my ability to bless you, I'm going to give you a king that I have chosen. You want a human king? Okay, I'm going to give you a king that I have designed. Amen? Okay, we're going to go to the next scripture. All right? And so Samuel said unto God, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. I think it's interesting that Samuel is questioning God about what God has asked him to do as if God doesn't already understand the odds, as if he doesn't already understand the circumstance. He knew what he was doing. God is the master set up king. He knows how to design things. And we, in our humanity, we have the tendency to quantify our ability, our desire, our willingness to show up in the context of what God has asked us to do based upon our feelings of if we're able to do it. But that's not what God asked him. God told him that he wanted him to go down to Jesse's house, the Bethlehemite, because he had prepared, he had prepared and provided a king for himself. So it was really for Samuel not to question, but just to act, to do, just to be obedient. All right. Um, I, th I thought it another thing that was interesting about this text is that God is saying that he's going to provide a king, but there already is a king. Saul was king at the time. And so this orchestration of him sending Samuel to Jesse's house was really by divine design because the fact that he asked him to take a heifer really meant that he was acting as if this anointing was of a spiritual nature, not really an anointing for the purpose of appointing. And so what he was doing is he was setting it all up so it just looked like customary time, a sacrifice. Bring the heifer, offer it, we'll sacrifice it um, before this man and his... Okay, we'll go to the next scripture. You can take over reading, if you would, please. And call Jesse to the sacrifice... And I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. God said, you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. And he was letting Samuel know at that moment that who I want may not be apparent. It may not be clear and it may not be obvious to you. So you have to wait on me and listen for my unctioning because I know exactly who I want. 
So it wasn't going to be based on what Samuel might see or what others around him might see or think would be the customary, would be the right um, person for the job. God knew who he wanted. Okay? All right. Keep going. And he said, peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. So he sanctified Jesse. He sanctified his sons. At that time, um, Jesse had um, the sons that were with them. The total of them were seven. And so we know that in biblical times, seven means completion. And so it seemed like that's all that was needed. It was done. The sacrifice had been made, and it was time to anoint. Okay? Um, I, I love this text because God in this text teaches Samuel, but not only Samuel, but us, an important lesson about his criteria. God's criteria for blessing, for appointing, for anointing is not our criteria. It has nothing to do with what we think it should be. Right? We're going to go to the next verse. Thank you, Lord. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Went to the first son, Eliab, looked at him and said, yes, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. This has got to be the person. All right, go to the next verse. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. It is important to take note of what's in your heart, because that is what quantifies us. That's what makes us available for God's using, not what's on the outside, not the degrees you've collected, not your stature, not your ability to do the job. What is in your heart? So God at that moment teaches Samuel an important lesson. I'm not looking on the outside. I'm looking for what is in the inside. And what's on the inside is far greater than what's on the outside. And what's on the inside is what quantifies and what will qualify and will help make the selection for the person that I've chosen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So we'll go to the next verse. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Not Eliab, not Abinadab. Keep going. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Three sons haven't chosen either of them. None of them. Right? Go to the next verse. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. The Lord has not chosen any of these. All seven of them. And so at this point, Samuel, and I'm sure Jesse is too, and his sons are trying to figure out who is it. We're all here. We're ready for the sacrifice. We're ready to be anointed. There is no one left. So we think. Amen. We'll go to the next, the next um, verse. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, 
He keepeth the sheep. Okay, we'll stop right there. So he said, is this everybody? Is this all of your children? And he said, no, we, we got another one. But this one was, he wasn't even considered. You think about this in a family where there are multiple siblings. And you've got everybody and they're coming for the sacrifice. You've got the prophet of the Lord coming to the house. This is a big event. This is no small occasion. This is a big thing. Samuel doesn't go to people's houses dragging heifers and bringing oil every day. This is not customary. So when he came, this was a big event and you don't even get invited. You don't even get asked. You don't even get considered as a family member to come and be a part of this occasion. But God is the king of the underdog. Hallelujah. I love it that David wasn't even considered because it reminds us in our own lives when we're not considered, when we're counted out, when we've been forgotten, when our family says, no, she ain't no good. That is perfect for God to do his best work within us. Hallelujah. All right. We're going to continue with that same passage of scripture. There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. So the one that was counted out, the one that was with the sheep, he's down with the sheep. He's not even considered. He was asked to come. He said, Come, draw him, bring him nither, bring him hither, sorry, so that he is the one that is going to be, we can't even go forth at this ceremony without him, right? We're going to go to the next uh, verse. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Arise and anoint him, for this is the one. I know he's ready. I know he's young. He's good looking. But I know he doesn't look like the part. I know he doesn't look like he's capable. I know he doesn't look like he'd be able to do it. But this is the one that I want. This is my son. This is the one that has my heart. And this is the one. Arise. Go get him and let's anoint him. I don't know if this is just for me. I know it's not. But if that ought to be enough to encourage you right there. Because God has not counted you out. You are perfect in the perfect position for him to do his best work with you. And in fact, if you feel counted out, if you feel like you haven't been considered, you're exactly who he wants. Why? Because when we've been counted out by others, then we know that when God calls us, all the glory goes to him. It's not in our own mind. We already know that's what made him perfect. Because he couldn't rely on his own strength. He had to rely on the fact that God had chosen him. And not only did he choose him, the one that they counted out, they didn't even invite him to the ceremony. He comes, is ushered in, and is anointed in front of all of them. And that reminds me of Psalm where it says, I will make for thee a table in the presence of your enemies. Glory to God. So, if you're in that situation where you feel like, mm, I'm getting passed over, I'm getting looked over, people are not considering me, hold on. Because God has a time 
and a place and a purpose that he's going to anoint you. And not in his anointing oftentimes includes promotion and advancement. So I'm going to bring you to the title that I have today to share with you. The title is, There is a King in Me. And if you will say that with me, there is a king in me. And that is the word of the Lord for us today, that there is a king in you, not tomorrow, not in the future tense, right now, inside of you, the king of kings that has made you and created you, has placed kingly anointing, kingly inheritance, kingly capability, and it's on the inside of you. So there is a king in me. All right, we're going to talk about what is a king. Because in order to understand what's inside you, you have to understand what a king is. So let's get the definition for king. What is a king? The male ruler of an independent state, especially one who inherits the position by right of birth. By the nature of the fact that we are called Christians, that we serve a living God, and that he is the king of kings, it makes us inherent to kingship. We are kings, and I'm going to use the term king a lot uh, as I speak this morning, but there is no gender um, preference here. King, queen, whatever you want to call yourself, you have that capacity on the inside of you, okay? Um, let's talk about what kings have as far as their power and what was the power that they had in Kings have a supernatural power. Best slide. Kings have a supernatural power over the life and the welfare of the tribe. The king is believed to influence the fertility of the soil, cattle, and human beings, but mostly the coming of rain. This is why it was so important to have the right person in that position of kingship because they had supernatural power. They not only had power over life, but they, over their lives, they had power over the welfare of the people that they were in position of authority over. They had the ability to influence the land, the ground. This was a time where um, harvest was the principle of the guiding principle of being. What you um, sowed, you had to reap. And so you wanted your land to be blessed. You wanted to have cattle and livestock. You wanted to be fertile. You wanted to have sons and inheritance and, and daughters so they could work the land. But you also needed rain because rain represents God's favor and his blessing. And so you had the ability to influence all of those things, not just um, be in charge of protecting, but also be in charge of all the things associated with the people that you were serving so that they could have what we would consider a good life, a healthy life, uh, to be able to live well. So if with all this authority and with all this power, you can't have the wrong person in this position because they would the natural tendency would be to bring glory to oneself, to get haughty, to get caught up in your ability to do these things and forget that God is the one that is within us and gives us the ability to do according to his good pleasure. 
And so that's why it was so important and critical to have the right person in place. If the wrong person was in place, then it would throw the whole equation off. And in this situation, the wrong person was in place because the people wanted Saul. That's the king that they wanted. And so God allowed them in his sovereignty. He allowed them to have the king that they wanted, but that king was not in line with his design and he did not listen to God as his father. He was disobedient, he was greedy, and he took more than his portion. And so then God said, I, I can't work with this. I will not work with this. I have to reject him. And so in his rejecting of him, he had to choose someone else. And he chose someone that he knew would be fit for the job. So the interesting thing about it is that he's a king. He's been anointed to be king, but he doesn't get to sit in the position of a king. Because there already is a king. So he's a king, but he has the responsibility of a shepherd. Okay? Doesn't deny the fact that he's still a king. It just means right now he's getting his exercise, his practice as a shepherd. He doesn't get a chance to go. He doesn't move from anointing to the kingdom. He moves from anointing right back to those dirty sheep. Back to the place where he was actually being groomed. But if he wasn't careful to recognize that he was in the perfect and the, and the proper position, he might have ignored the fact that he was in the right place for God to do the best work with him. Because how can you lead people if you can't even lead sheep? How can you have the responsibility to be able to call down rain if you can't even be in charge of an animal? And so that is um, part of what we're learning in this text, that even though God may have called you to something, sometimes the path of getting there is not quick. Sometimes it's long. Sometimes it's seemingly too long. But trust the process. Because God knows the perfect time and the right time for us to be appointed and to be placed in the position that he's already prepared us for. Doesn't matter that he's not in the position now. He's still a king. He's still a king as a shepherd. But he just isn't sitting right now on the throne. Okay? So let's talk about the characteristics of a king. What makes a king a king? Okay? A king is a leader. A king um, has the responsibility of leading the people that he is tasked to serve, okay? A king is also a deliverer. His job was to deliver the people from the hand of the enemy that they were fighting, and it's, his job was also to be a blesser. We already talked about that, how to be able to call down rain and to be able to bless the soil and to bless the people around him, okay? All right? You can go to the next slide. All right. Um, and a king has the responsibility of being able to accept the task of fulfilling God's will. You cannot be a king if you want your will, because that is not the job or not the calling of a biblical king. You have to execute the will of God. That means you have to be listening to God. You have to be in tune with God. You have to be um, daily interacting with him so that his voice is not foreign when it comes and you know that it's him speaking and not yourself, okay? All right, 
So um, I w let's go to the next slide that you have on the screen. A king also leaves a legacy for his people. All right, we're going to go to the next, uh, the next thing. I think they. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with what I have because they their slides are not up to what I have, and that's totally fine because God knows the word that He wants and He knows what he wants to do, and I'm going to follow his leading because that's my, my task and that's my job, all right? So oftentimes um, in this process of knowing that you're a king but not being able to serve in that capacity, it can be very frustrating, right? It can be frustrating for us. What do you do when your position doesn't align with your calling, okay? I'm going to say that again. What do you do when your position doesn't align with your calling. I've been called to be a king, but I am serving as a shepherd, okay? What do you do when you were trying to be content with where you are right now, currently? I know I'm supposed to be content. I know that God has more in store for me, but it feels like in this place that I'm placed in, I'm getting frustrated because it feels like, although I want to be content, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Okay? And I know that. You feel that internal yearning like, God, I don't want to get ahead of you, but come on. I'm tired of this place. It doesn't feel good. I'm tired of sitting here and serving and being on the back of the, um, of the, 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 back of the corporation when you called me to lead. Okay? I experienced this in my own educational career. I was a person who... I um, started teaching in 1998. I was a third grade teacher. In my mind, I thought, I'm going to teach until they roll me out of here. That was my, that was my calling, calling. I thought, I'm just going to teach, and that's it. But there were people around me that saw things in me that I didn't see in myself at a very early in my career. So my second year of teaching, I am given this task of being a part of this cadre of teachers that trains other teachers. First year teaching, now second year training teachers. And then I get to my fifth year of teaching and there is a position open in the district that I'm working in and it says that I could be an administrative assistant. It was worded carefully and it was worded actually unbeknownst to me for me because I didn't have the uh, I didn't have the administrative degree yet. And so they made the job description to fit me because I didn't have all the qualifications at the time. And so I remember sitting down with the superintendent and he said to me, listen, we believe in you. We feel like um, you have the potential and the capacity to do this job, but you have to get the degree. You don't have the degree. So we're going we're gonna to allow you to have it, but we're giving it to you with the understanding that you're going to get the degree. So I go, I apply for schooling. Didn't even know if I could afford at that time to get my master's, but as it turns out, my uh, dad was uh, a veteran, and there's a program that they have for college students um, called um, the CDV program, and it's Children of Disabled Veterans. My dad was considered to have having a disability, although he didn't have any, you know, um, it wasn't a disability that disabled him, so to speak, but it was a disability, and so there was funding for that. So here I am, I'm in a position, I didn't really even know I was going to that position. God has already made the position, they've made the job description so that it fits me and now I have the funding. So I'm in the position, I'm working the position, great. 
I'm an assistant principal. Great. I'm an assistant principal of a middle school. I jumped from elementary to middle school, which is unheard of because normally in a school setting, they want you to stay in the lane where you've been trained. Okay. So I'm a general elementary. My licensure says that I can teach one through sixth grade and seventh through eighth, seventh and eighth grade non-departmentalized. I can teach anything that doesn't require a special certification. So I wasn't qualified to be the assistant principal of a middle school. I don't even like middle school kids. <laughs> They're not my preference. They, uh, I didn't like middle school when I was in middle school. It's a hard time of life. It is difficult. But here I am, I'm placed in all of the staff in this place where I'm in seemingly are older than me. All of them. They're old enough to be my parents. And now I'm put in a position where I'm supposed to lead them and I don't even really know what I'm doing. So I thought. But God knew exactly where he wanted me. And so he placed me there. I worked there for three years. I transitioned. I move into an elementary um, position as an assistant principal. By this time, I have the degree and the certification. Great. And then it becomes time. At the end of that time, I'm thinking, okay, I'm ready to be a principal. I've got the training. I've got five years underneath my belt. I've got five years as um, a classroom teacher, and in most job, description, most job descriptions for administrative positions, they want you to have five and five. And I had it. I had 10 years ready to go. Couldn't find a principal's position. Oh, I was doing interviews all the time. I would get a final interview. I would be invited back. They would sit down and say, we really like you. We really like you. We think you could do the job. And I would leave there excited thinking, okay, this is my time my opportunity, and then I get the call. And you could tell, somewhere in when they're calling you, they start, the inflection of voice starts to change, starts to dip a little bit, and they're like, well, you did a great job in the interview, but we've decided to go with somebody else. Crushing, so I thought, okay, that was one position, that's fine. I get another interview, same thing happens. Another interview, same thing ha happens. Three interviews, I can't land a principal's job. Can't get one. Got great references, wonderful recommendations. My record stands for itself. I've got great experience. Can't get one. Did that mean I wasn't a principal? Did it mean that I did not have administrative capacity? No, I had it then. It just wasn't the time for me to sit in that position. Even though I was qualified, even though I thought I was ready. So then I move and I go, a good friend of mine, I interview for the job that she gets I interview for it. She interviews for it. She gets the position. And I'm like, this, how is this even fair? <laughs> how is this right? She hasn't even been an assistant principal, ever. She goes from um, the job she was doing to principal to another principalship. I'm like, this, this does not make sense. And I'm starting to get irritated and annoyed because I'm thinking, you know, God, you're not even considering me. Like, what do you have? I didn't even have to take this job in the first place. It's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to teach. I was quite content there. But God had to move me out of my comfort zone to place me in a position that he needed me to be in so he could groom me and prepare me not to give me what I wanted right away, but to help me learn how to wait, how to be patient. Because in patience is where you're developed. In waiting and in frustration is where you learn how to lead. Honestly. And so then through all of that time, I work 
the girl who, the, my, my really good friend, gets the job, and then she calls me a week before school starts, and she says, hey, I have this position, and it's open. It's not administrative, but I think it sounds perfect for you. How does it sound perfect for me, and I want an administrative job? <laughs> and you got the job that I want. So I'm smart enough not to say that out loud. I was feeling that internally. And so I take the job. The job is perfect for me. I get to work as an instructional coach. I work in that job for 12 years. So I go from 10 years um, with varied experience, 12 years as an instructional coach, and then they open up a principal's job in the middle of the pandemic. The most unlikely time to take on a leadership position, especially in schools, because now we're running schools in a way we've never done before. But all that preparation, all those years of being an instructional coach allowed me to walk right in and be ready. I was counted out even in that interview circle because people said, you know, you've never been an assistant principal in this district. They forgot. They didn't know my track record. They didn't know my history. I had already been an assistant principal. And so someone came to me and said, well, why are you applying for the principal's job? Um, why don't you just wait and see who becomes the principal and take on the assistant principal's job? I said, because I don't want to. I already have that experience. I've already done that job. And so now I get to what seems like to people, I, got, I jump steps. But I actually didn't jump steps because my career was being designed by God. He had a certain trajectory. So although it looked backwards, it really was fast forward. And I have the opportunity and I serve in that capacity now. And there are so many times people come to me and they say, man, you don't seem like you've been only doing this job for three years. You know why? Because I had lots of time to prepare. And in that preparation season, I learned how to lead. One of my best skills as a principal is not my ability to do the managerial things, is the instructional leadership. Because why? I had 12 years as an instructional coach. And so I know how to go in and help people set up systems for instruction because that's where my training was. And they moved me into a school where the academics were declining rapidly. Now, fast forward in three years, we have the highest growth in the district. We are getting ready to um, surpass a lot of the schools that don't even have the same demographics at us as, as we do in achievement. We are inching up every time we come around to a testing season. We, our name, Spring Mill Elementary, is coming up and they are saying, man, what are you doing over there? Your leadership is exceptional. No, my leadership is not exceptional, it's not exceptional, but I serve an exceptional God who knew the exact time that he needed to promote me. He knew what I didn't know. He could see what I couldn't see, and he knew when my time had come. So yes, it seemed like I was like David, stuck in with the dirty sheep, doing the meaningless tasks, being overlooked, being underestimated. But let's learn that underestimation is a superpower. Yeah. Underestimate me, please. Because when you underestimate me, then you count out what you haven't considered, what God has ordained and already considered. All right? What do you do when you have a purpose 
but you are in a position that doesn't match the prophetic word that's been spoken over your life. What do you do? Do you get frustrated? Do you give up? Do you quit? Do you say, yeah, this is not for me. I don't have this. I, you know, I must not be a leader because they, they won't ever promote me. I can never get, I can never get ahead. They don't ever consider me. I must not be talented because they never start me in the basketball game. No. What people think about you and what they see on the outside of you does not qualify you for the things that God has for you. They do not know. They are not in charge. Who's in charge? God Almighty, the one who sits on the throne, the one who created you, the one that has ordained you, and the one ultimately that has qualified you. Amen? All right. Um, sometimes our assignment isn't kingly, but it doesn't mean that you're not a king, right? Because kingship is based on inheritance. It's based on who you're connected to and who's you are, man. And when we look in the scripture, and we won't go there, but when we look in the scripture, it's in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, and um, down to verse 12, where David is anointed. But it isn't until 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3, where he actually is appointed king over all of Israel. Okay, so I don't know about you, but if you looked through Bible pages, 1 Samuel 16, just logistically, is a long way away from 2 Samuel chapter, um, chapter 5. It's a long way away. So there was a long time in between that he had to wait and become, um, wait on becoming the thing that he had already been called to be, okay? And so I really just want to encourage you that the place that you're in right now, that place that feels frustrating, that place that feels like um, it's unfair, it's unequitable, you've been looked over, you've been passed by. I want you to know that this place is the position for your assignment. Where you are right now is where you are being positioned, okay? So it's not that you've been overlooked, it's that God is posturing you. What does posturing mean? He's getting you in the right position, not only logistically, but most important, within your heart. What does your heart look like? Because you have to have a certain type of heart to be able to fulfill the calling that God has placed on your life. He is preparing you. It may look like he, you're being overlooked, but he's preparing you. He's promoting you. He's reminding you. He's developing you. He is stabilizing you. Because God works behind the scenes. He works in private. He works in those times where we're all alone and we feel like we're all alone, but he's right there. He is absolutely right there. Um, he is trying to work within us this ability to be able to trust him completely. And it's difficult. It is hard to trust. It's hard to trust the people that we know and the people that we see every day, but it's very hard and difficult to trust a God that we can't see. Um, it is. It's just, it's difficult. We have things I know, um, I don't know everybody's story in here, but I know a lot of people's story. And I know some of the challenges that we face. I know people here that are hoping and believing for certain things in their life. And they've been praying for it for a very long time. And it seems like it's not going to happen. There are people in this building that need healing. And it seems like it's not going to happen because we're going to 
the doctor and he has reports and you're looking at the medication you have to take and you're watching the physical decline of your body every day as you get older, but that doesn't matter. And that's what I want to remind you, that it doesn't matter because God's promises are true. They are yea and amen. What God has spoken over you, it's not like it will come to pass. It has to come to pass. Why? Because God is a promise keeper. That is what he specializes. He keeps his promise. We can trust. We can count. We can be assured that he will keep and do exactly what he said he's going to do. And that's where we put our confidence. So that's why we praise him. That's why we come to church. That's why we read our Bible. That's why we keep getting up every time we fall down. Because he is a promise keeper. And if he said it, he's going to do it. And if he said it, he'll make the way for it to happen. And if he said it, he'll create the opportunity. And if he said it, he'll make the way. And if he said it, he'll provide the finance. And if he said it, he'll open the door. If he said it, he'll close the door to someone else. Because what he says is true. And you can count on it. You can count on the truth of the God that we serve. Hallelujah. It is true. It is written. What he said through 66 books of promises. They are ours. Not somebody else's. Ours. They're mine. Okay? So what do you need to tell yourself? There's a king in me. There's a queen in me. There's anointing in me. There's deliverance in me. There's power in me. There's authority in me. There is favor on my life. There is healing in me. There is intelligence with inside of me. I don't care what your degree is. Have a degree, don't have a degree. GED, no GED. You are intelligent. Why? Because we serve a God who is a master at his design. He will give you spiritual understanding beyond your comprehension. You don't have to have a degree to understand the things of God because God knows how to break things down. He knows how to talk to you on your level. He knows how to show you through the smallest of things. He will show you what he, what he thinks about you, what he's designed for you, and what he wants you to know about himself and also you. That's the beauty of him. Hallelujah. I was um, look, look, looking up as I was working on this and studying... I started thinking about Pizza King. Pizza King is a native to Muncie, Indiana, to really the state of Indiana. And I learned about the story of Pizza King. And in the story of Pizza King, there were two brothers who started this business. Okay? They worked at it for about a year. And then they decided to split. They were doing well, but they decided to split. So they split the territory of the state. And one brother took the majority of the state, and the other brother took the, the other part of the state. And um, part... Uh, the part that one of the brothers took was over the Muncie um, headquarters. And so I started thinking about that, um, the, the, the fact that Pizza King, um, you know, there are certain Pizza Kings even within the city of Muncie that are more preferred than others. Like, why, why, does, why is it that Pizza King tastes different, but it has the same logo, the same size, those same little individual rectangle squares that we love, but why does it taste different from place to place? Well, I learned that Pizza King is not a franchise. I thought it was a franchise. It's not a franchise. It's what they, it's what they call a supply licensure that they have. 
And so it basically says you will get our supplies from this corporation or, or headquarters or warehouse, but you have the ability to make the pizza however you want to make it. But you have to use the cheese, you have to use the same sauce, you have to use the same um, sausage and pepperoni, but basically you can make it however you want. And so I, then I started thinking about, well, that makes sense, that's why certain pizza kings, the pizza tastes better than other pizza kings, and, and that's why there are certain preferred locations. And then I started thinking about the logo, or not the logo, but kind of like the slogan. And I remember it said, um, ring the king. Thinking, where, where did they come up with ring the king? And then it came when I was doing my study that ring the king came up because it was in the Muncie headquarters, or sorry, in the Muncie Pizza Kings that you could sit at the table, pick up the phone, and place your own order. You didn't have to wait for a waitress. You didn't have to walk up to the stand. You could ring the king. And so I want to leave you with that. Pizza King, how does that connect to my life? How does that connect to being a shepherd? How does that connect to being... Um, a king, but having to work as having the responsibility of a shepherd, but also having a kingly anointing. Because in order to understand your kingship, you got to ring the king. You have to ring the king. You have a direct access to the king. So if you're not functioning as a king, that's on you because you haven't learned how to ring the king. It is time to ring the king. Pick up the phone. Pick up the word. Pick up and talk to a spiritual mentor. Someone who can see things in you that you can't see in yourself. And help you understand that you're exactly where you need to be. Don't get frustrated. Ring the king. Don't stop coming. Ring the king. Don't stop reading your word. Ring the king. Because the king is here. You have full access and the king is ready to give you exactly what he has designed for you. I don't know about you, but I plan to ring the king. Okay? I'm going to ring the king. All righty? Amen.